Alright ladies and gentlemen of the Bizzlecast, welcome back to the Bizzle Does Commentaries for The Expanse Season 5 and 6, the final two seasons or season and a half of a really good show that had some problems, went off the air, was saved by the fans, and Prime Video made even way better, uh, where it really could match the book, um, uh, the books, which are, you know, when the books are hitting, are among the great sci-fi works ever, with, like, Dune and Foundation and stuff, and I don't say that lately, um, and, uh, book five is my favorite, and so season five, especially with the Prime Video Reclamation, uh, um, an improvement, uh, on all levels of the show, had me very excited, but also nervous that, you know, it would be too loyal or not loyal enough, turns out it's maybe a little bit too loyal, but they do a phenomenal job on this season, and all the major character and plot beats uh, mostly are here and mostly hit even if they're scrambled around and changed around a little bit so I mostly want to just get into the commentary so what you want to do is get your uh, prime video files to episode two of season five of the expanse churn uh, get back that's uh, get past that sort of early uh, you know Amazon commercial or whatever get to the main expanse file it's 52 minutes 21 seconds uh, get your marker back to zero hours zero minutes and zero seconds uh, and make sure it's buffered and so forth. I'm going to count from three to two to one. I'm going to say go. When I say go, you should hit play. I'm going to count to five, six, seven uh, to see that we're mostly aligned in terms of the time signatures. Uh, and we'll get right into the recap uh, in this great episode, which I assume is mostly about Amos um, coming back to... Uh, uh, Earth, uh, which, just really quickly, and we'll revisit this if that's true in the episode, that it's mostly him, uh, as horrific as the situation gets, and as bizarre as, uh, it is that he, you know, quote-unquote, saves or frees Clarissa Bow, and they become soulmates, and, 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 you know, buddies fighting together and so forth, uh, for, for all of the terrible, horrible things that happen while he's there, um, mostly to him and to the people around him, it's actually, uh, you know, in terms of his initial decision to go to take care of business of the woman who raised him, uh, the least dumb, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, let's go uh, back to my past and solve things, uh, ideas uh, of him, Naomi, uh, and Alex. Uh, Alex, uh, luckily, it's just embarrassing. Uh, it has to deal with, you know, his optimism about Mars and how much it's failing and his bad family past and so forth. But him and Bobby get on an adventure and kind of saves him. Obviously, Naomi goes through fucking hell over and over and over again uh, with her son and so forth. Maybe starting in this episode. Uh, so, okay, shut up, Bizzle. Let's get the countdown going. Season 5, Episode 2, Turn the Expanse. And here comes the countdown. 3, 2, 1, and go. One, two, three, Amazon Original, four, black screen, five, six, seven, and we're in space. See where my audio is. Radio garbled message. It's great that they start the first couple episodes all with these sort of mysterious, scary, uh, space operations, terrorist attacks things going wrong because if you're not familiar with the material you know as i had gone through the books many times mostly through jefferson Mays's amazing audiobook uh form of it uh but also reading um i'd gone through books five and six a lot before this finally aired uh cause it took a while because of covid and the fucking cast anvar situation and so forth and here's drummer 
Here's Rummer, clearly the breakout from the series. They kind of knew it from the beginning. Um, and they do a great job of of giving Kerji more and more to do as the seasons go along. But they save her being a 1A main character with the Rosanante crew and Bobby and Avasarala, um, Avasarala uh, until the final seasons. And at this point, she just takes over. Um, and the cult of, of Kerji was, was legit around the Expanse, as much as we love the other characters. She's just so obviously super talented. She's already an award winner. Here she is doing various threats and negotiations, most mostly threats with other belters she's kind of a, a pirate at this point she's in a nihilistic phase but she has her little amorous um uh <laughs> multi-partite sense of relationships to say the least uh to say the least uh you know it's sort of a big f family of romance on, on the ship uh but they're also pirates again she's a mix you know, here she's Michio Pa. She is who Michio Pa is in the book. And here's a torpedo. Does it get through? They just bomb the shit out of this guy. Yeah, they just bomb the shit out of this guy. Um, Michio Pa, after, you know, being the second or third in command of the behemoth and everything that went wrong, uh, that she blames on Fred Johnson uh, in book three, uh, you know, just says fuck it to Fred Johnson and everybody else and becomes a pirate with her polyamorous family. Um, and they just give that to Drummer instead. Uh, but they set it up perfectly because Drummer is a badass. Uh, and again, I won't <laughs> beat the drum hopefully more than once or twice. This is a woman that's playing Michio Pa, and she's a really cool side character. Um, uh, but just keep in mind that this version of Drummer is a combination of Drummer in the books and the woman who is Michio, uh, and who is of much higher rank and uh, power in the books. Um, but uh, Karaji was so obviously the huge talent and uh, what I was going to say was, I'm going to beat the drum only a couple times per episode. You have to read books 7 and 8 especially, and also 9, the final one, especially 7 and 8, uh, because of Drummer, um, who we start getting stuff from her perspective much down the road when she's, you know, the leader of the galaxy, uh, but she gets kind of complacent. And when the Laconian Empire comes decades after they abandoned and betrayed Mars with their advanced uh, Martian mixed with protomolecule technology. Uh, she's completely unprepared for it and loses <laughs> very handily. Um, as historic of a figure as she's been up to that point, uh, it's really a story of an extremely strong and stubborn woman who is already starting to lose control of the outer worlds and stuff because she's just ruling the trade union and controlling all the wormholes and stuff is being too hard on everyone, including people working for her, like Holden and so forth. Um, uh, but that's not the reason she loses the Laconians. Um, it's because the Laconians are genius and they have advanced technology and, you know, the... the, the uh, Abandonment of Mars and the near genocide of Earth, uh, they're still recovering from. Uh, and it, despite all of that, uh, you know, and at that point, obviously, they, they teamed up, uh, as we'll see at the end of this series, those main three groups to stop Marco and Naros. They have, you know, yet to really start getting along. 
um, and cooperating, or be, or I should say, be they're, they're still not ready for cooperation when it's called for now with a much worse situation than Marco, because the Laconians are legit galaxy dominating force uh, with extremely advanced technology that they should not have uh, from the proto molecule backfires on them eventually. Um, and their leaders, uh, but initially, it's total massacre, um, uh, both literally um, and yeah, um, and just in terms of you know, I mean, there, there's no there, here's the intro. There's no real response from Drummer when the Laconians invade in Book Seven, and this is early, so I don't feel bad spoiling it. And you know. She tries, to, you know, her her boyfriend and lover, Saba, who's a great character, is the sort of the leader of the Belter part of the rebellion, um, who's still an old school guy who knows Holden and what they'd gone through. But most of the Belters are young and weren't around when they had to team up against Marco and Narles and so forth. And so it's a whole thing again of, you know, uh, trying to unite the Belters, Earthers, and Martians against the greater threat. Uh, and they eventually have to rely really on individual heroes working together, including Samba and the Rosanante crew, and of course now Clarissa's joined <laughs> at that point, uh, and Bobby of course, and and uh, Naomi's increased role, and and Drummer as the sort of legitimate political leader, but who's also working in the back room, and uh, you know the Laconian Empire knows it's just a great character study, and she's given advice when she doesn't ask what she does not ask for. Uh, by uh, I was a much, much, much older at that point, almost near death, but still very vital and very angry and strong Avasarala, um, who, you know, she's really annoyed with constantly. And at first, you know, she specifically says, shut the fuck up, I don't want to hear your advice. Uh, but eventually she starts listening to Christian's um, advice. And while they disagree still on a lot of stuff, she starts looking at the long game and one of the things i talk about that's great about abasarala's character um i apologize i say abasarala abasarala christian's character uh played by here by sharia gadashlu um is you know even when she ends up almost dying or her cause being wrecked like her first appearance in Caliban's War Book 2, and really throughout the various seasons at times by politicians. You know, most politicians, evil or good, but especially ones with bad intentions, are looking at the short to medium game. They don't care about the long game, they just want to get rich and powerful now. She doesn't care about riches and power, and she's so smart, and a true diplomat, um, and uh, really a true political thinker, although she would never categorize herself as such. Um... And uh, here Amos is having flashbacks to, yeah, that kid got beat up, maybe by, you know, <laughs> a forced prostitution thing. Oh, God, it's horrible. There's drones. Another way to just accentuate the future that's very cheap for special effects. But anyways, um, uh, the point is, 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 for better or worse, uh, her losses throughout the series that she always comes back from because she gets the right allies. This is great. Uh, w with the guy from The Wire. Uh, I apologize in advance. Um, Frankie face, face on, face on. Frankie face on. This is great because it would, it would take almost nothing for Amos to murder this guy and distrust him. 
even if it's 10% distrust in Amos, the situation, more murderous and psychotic than usual. But, you know, this is such a key moment in the book in here for Amos where he looks into a, a, a normal working man's, you know, eyes and just sees the truth. He did love her and she's gone. And actually they're in the same boat. So why don't we sit down and talk for a little bit? Um... This whole episode, you know, or the heart of it, as it's called, Churn, referring to the terrible areas in Baltimore uh, he grew up in and he's returning to, is about Amos uh, as a character study you guys have watched, hopefully at least once, and you can go into it. So I'm going to talk about the wider issues, um, because all of these one-on-one -on -one and small group acting performances agree. I mean, this is phenomenal, and then when he goes to his buddy Eric, who's got the weird arm later, and that actor's spectacular, and just like Eric from the book... Uh, and, and they have an amazing friend slash I want to kill you chemistry. Were you good to her, Charles? Right. And that's why I wait to see Amos have the completely murderous psychotic breakdown on the ship earlier. One of the reasons was to show that it could happen here to this poor old guy who probably doesn't deserve it, even if he's not a good guy, but he does turn out to be a good guy. Timothy, and of course, is the original name of Amos Burton. Now I'm lost in the drama. Frankie Faison does such a good job. He's such a weak, ineffectual, eager to please, small-minded, small vision thinker as the head of the police. You feel bad when he's replaced because his number two, uh, who looks like Hank from Breaking Bad, I always forget the guy's name, the white guy who is Frankie Faison's number two in The Wire, who takes over his actually even more of a phony baloney um, uh, the Frankie Faison's uh, character as the commissioner um, uh, but he's just you know like so many of the wire actors especially the African American ones uh, which was most of the cast most of the important cast um, are just consummate from the young the youngins um, all the way up through the older guys like Frankie here um, but speaking of short-term thinking uh, his character in The Wire as I was saying Christian's greatest strength but also the reason she would often lose at least in the short term and be threatened almost die or you know lose her position before she gets back is because she was neglecting the people who were thinking short to medium term who again are mostly opportunists and mostly not great guys but even okay politicians who are just about their career maybe they hold decent ideals but a lot of them are still just thinking about you know two years election or six years is the next election and i'm just going to concentrate on the you know short term of staying in politics because you know power breeds power but you know power is also going to want to maintain power even while others are trying to replace it um and uh christian always sees the long game and so you know, she really tries to hammer home during the Laconian conflict without spoiling too much in her conversations with, uh, with Drummer, um, where she's so honest that they end up cursing out each other constantly, you know, cause such tough personalities, stubborn, uh, strong-minded to say the least, uh, but she's trying to get, uh, Commissioner Drummer or President, I guess she's called President of the Trade Union at that point, President Drummer, 
who seems completely out of options. She's completely outgunned. She really doesn't have a fleet or anything to go up against the Laconians, who are so much more powerful and have taken over the main station. Medina can now control the slow zone and therefore control, you know, the thousand systems that people have colonized and are well on their way to forcing or pressuring most of those systems' leaders to be part of the Laconian Empire, um, or at least, you know, um, uh, drop, the, uh, give up their arms or any attempt of rebellion. Uh, and this is a great character study of Drummer, uh, where she remains uh, just as smart and just as tough and just as kind of cool as a character as Karaji portrays her here. Um, but, you know, while she becomes almost like the Jesus figure in saving uh, the system against the Marco threat, um, by compromising with, with Christian and, and the Arthurs and, you know, crossing the line where no one else would, including people like Fred Johnson, who she's supposedly more extreme than, but she realizes how bad the situation really is. Um, and, uh, you know, in another, uh, uh, I was gonna say another universe and a slightly different timeline, you know, Drummer would have gone down as a, a legendary historic, uh, leader, um, who led her people into the next, uh, not just her people, but all of humanity, um, as the connection between what's left of the solar system and, and the thousand worlds that have been settled, um, or whatever it is, the hundreds of worlds, uh, through the, the wormholes, uh, in the, uh, bio, uh, in the, uh, protomolecule created, uh, slow zone, um, uh, but instead, she gets apathetic and completely unprepared for the Laconian invasion. Um, and uh, it's a sad end for a drummer. Um, we don't actually hear how she dies or when it happens. Um, but she's basically, uh, sorry for the, the lingo, but she's basically castrated politically by the end of it all. And James Holden, who's a political prisoner for an extended period on Laconia, uh, he sort of gives himself up during a mission so that the mission can succeed, and it does succeed big time, and starts to change the course of the war slightly towards the good guys, but Holden has to be the distraction, um, and uh, he gives himself up and becomes a political prisoner who's held and tortured, and they try and, you know, propaganda him, and he tries to <laughs> propagandize the Laconians right back on their, you know, dictatorial, uh, autocratic bullshit, um, and hypocrisy, um, and, uh, you know, as I mentioned in the last episode, he even maneuvers, uh, getting L.V. Okoye, uh, the, sci the awesome, uh, beautiful, brilliant scientist from season four, um, in deep, uh, to the scientific and political hierarchy of the Laconians, um, because he's one of the only, and again, typical Holden fashion, he gets what he wants, but it's also based on reality, which is he's one of the only people who's experienced, but also mentally and intellectually can handle the experience and the knowledge of what they know of the builders and what they experience, he and her experience of the builders, uh, in book slash season four, um, on New Terra, um, uh, actually she experienced more than he did um, while he was having his visions with Miller. The, the subtle changes on, on the face of the woman um, uh, of, of uh, Bayo uh, Watson, who plays Sakai, um, uh, with a gender change, um, but that works great because this actress is, is so good. Here's Monica. <laughs> she has such a, 
exaggerated features with those big eyes and her big lips, her high cheekbones. She's beautiful. She's gorgeous, but she does have something sort of alien and weird looking, and she's always right up in his face. As I didn't get through the, the last episode, you know, their initial meetings where she's sort of screaming slash flirting with him and the crew in season three during the the behemoth thing uh, and the Clarissa Mao conspiracy. Stephen Strait says he was scared shitless, as big as he is, as tiny as she is. She's so intense and just immediately got up in his grill. And, and you know, he immediately, after like the first or second take, went over to uh, the writers, uh, maybe Ty Frank and, and Daniel Abraham, the original authors, James Corey, and were just like, dude, this woman's great, but she's scaring the shit out of me. Um, she's just that intense. Um, just similar to Katie Sackhoff. You know, Katie Sackhoff is so full of love and life and energy in real life, uh, and you get the feeling that, um, that Anna, uh-oh, He's feeling that Anna Hopkins, who plays Monica Stewart, is very much like that, and so channels it as just a super uber intense, attractive but s- scary in her intensity type character. Uh, yes, she's a journalist and Starbucks a hotshot pilot, but their overall roles and contributions, uh, just as actresses, in adding just a constant jolt and burst of energy anytime things start to feel like they're dragging or by the numbers um, is huge. And I, I want to say that the the fact that she gets kidnapped so brazenly and that Fred Johnson puts together so quickly that there's major terrorist shit happening behind his back. He has to shut down the station and then the the sort of zero-G cargo bay look uh, searching for her. It's so tense and exciting and, and well-written in the book, and they nail it in the series. And, you know, in, in the book, on first reading, uh, especially if you've been gone through the entire series numerous times, uh, here's where Bobby is sort of almost killed uh, by the High Martian uh, secret traitor <laughs> conspiracy group or whatever, the Rogue Martians, Duarte, the future Laconian Empire folks, and he comes in, uh, and he almost gets killed too, but they, the cops come and uh, they get patched up, and that's when they, they take the razor back out into space and start investigating <laughs> stuff, and they and start actually uh, force the... Uh, the Marco Belters, uh, to start the war, um, uh, they put, accidentally put pressure on the, uh, the Belters working for Marco with their stolen Martian chimps, uh, to go to war earlier than they were planning, because they're discovered before they were prepared to be discovered, um, but as we're seeing with Holden and Fred on this nation, uh, there's a very brazen uh, kidnapping of Monica, and then other weird stuff going on on the station, uh, and as Fred points out in the book, you know, that's the kind of behavior you do when you think you've already won, or you're so far ahead of the people, right, Avasarl is, fu- is funding me, and, uh, I didn't finish the thought in the last one that she's actually the one that owns the Razorback while this is going on, she doesn't do anything with it, she's not a pilot, she can't even really fly it, Avasarl, I thought she would just sell it for money, but she held on to it, and thank God, because Alex flies it like a fucking boss in the book, and, you know, them them sort of poking the hornet's nest of the the bad guy Marco Belters, uh, but then just running, and, but trying to save the Prime Minister as well. 
and get to Earth or, or, or Luna, the moon, uh, uh, save the Prime Minister and get all the leaders together and prevent the Belters from that particular victory uh, of, of killing the major leaders of the major groups. Um, uh, you know, it is such a highlight of that book in that, in that series. Um, but, you know, it, it's obvious after the end of how they set it up in season four that she's working for Avasarala as she's always wanted to. And, you know, Avasarala just loves Bobby, l- loves her balls, and, you know, the fact that she's scared of Bobby, uh, but Bobby's on her side. Um, uh, and as Bobby says, you know, in the books, uh, you know, sh- uh, it'll never come between Mars and Christian because Christian knows, because uh, Christian doesn't like losing, uh, meaning Bobby would actually choose, um, like, like Alex, who's a Martian patriot despite everything, she remains a Martian patriot. Um, but also, she doesn't think that being a Martian patriot should contradict, uh, you know, helping, uh, assisting in, in most of Christian Avasarala's, uh, you know, plans. Um, or, or they shouldn't have to, at least. It shouldn't come to that. But she doesn't, Christian doesn't like to lose, and she doesn't want to lose Bobby. Um, and so they have sort of an agreement. Um, but it's the relationship of, the again, the older Christian Avasarala with uh, older drummer, who's now the president of the trade union in Book 7 and, and beyond, at least in Book 7, um, uh, you know, they're sort of political, uh, not soulmates, but, you know, I mean, Avasarala, before and even after the destruction of Earth, because of the role she takes leading uh, the fight back, uh, taking the fight back to Marco, uh, Inaros, um, after all that, is the most powerful person in the solar system, maybe that ever existed, Um, and, uh, there's some drug shit. Um, Oh, right, this is the Eric thing. This is great. And not only does the guy sort of talk and act like the Eric in the book, which is so memorable, but, like, the tension of, like, oh, we're old buddies, but, like, you know, Amos is ready to murder any time, and Eric's got, like, nine different plans about how to murder Amos before he gets a chance, and is testing him, you know, by leaving his gun out and stuff. I mean, it's it's just so tense between the two of them, uh, which makes their teaming up post-apocalypse. Uh, being initiated once he frees Clarissa Mao. I mean, once you got Clarissa Mao and Eric and Eric's whole fucking uh, group of thugs and soldiers and so forth. I mean, they, they really are. And if they knew Amos's true past, I mean, they all should be in prison. Uh, but uh, it turns out that Clarissa Mao has a big role up in the good guys uh, as part of her redemption. And Eric actually goes out to uh, one of the thousand... Uh, New systems, and you can read it in. I believe Oberon is the short story. One of the they've done many short story books exploring this, but I believe Oberon is the one that explores Eric and Eric's people going out to Oberon in one of the systems and some of the crazy shit that happens there. Uh, but anyways, it, it would have been good enough, you know, had because there is the big time jump between six and seven, and the Rosinante crew is young enough even now, that after a multi-decade time jump with anti-aging stuff, you know, they might be 50, 60, 70, but in their universe, where people lived 120, 130, are still young enough to be doing, you know, Han Solo things, Firefly things. Uh, here she is. God, Anna is so good as Monica. And again, I can't stress enough how much, uh, how exciting and tense uh, and scary that, that whole thing is with her almost suffocating from lack of air 
uh, and the rescue of her using both technology and just instincts and, and brains. And here's right. Here's Alex starting to try and be slick and get information about what's going on in the Martian hierarchy. Uh, you know, in the book, he's immediately courted by a woman, and they go on a date, and he figures out later, I think, uh, that she's just spying on him. Um, or maybe he has a sense right away. Here, being a TV show, and so much going on. Um, you know, again, for people not reading the book, they have her sort of talk to, uh, I don't know if this is Duarte, I don't think this is Duarte, it's one of Duarte's main admirals, or, you know, other rogue, uh, uh, m- m- who become one of the leaders of the rogue Martians, um, teaching this course here, or whatever. Um, and, you know, he's like, you know, watch him, like, keep an eye on him, blah, 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 you know. They know his connection to Holden, and you know, whenever people think about Holden and the Rosinante crew, they get results, and they always seem to be the winners of the, these big galactic situations. And you know, they're not at all afraid of the Belters or Marco because you know, from the uh, the, the uh, you know the upper echelon of the Rogue Martian leadership, like this guy, um, and Duarte, who becomes the ultimate you know supreme leader. They've been planning this so long. They're much older. They're much more educated. You know, it's a ballsy plan that happens to work with building their own empire and coming back decades later to dominate. Um, But it's so much... They've thought so much further, um, sort of mathematically and logically, than Marco has, uh, which, again, is one of the great things about book six. They don't have time in... in, uh, uh, series six, I'm sorry, season six, to explore is that Marco starts losing, uh, you know, here they, they, it's done by Marco, you know, losing drummer, and it's very appropriate for the show, and it's very representative uh, of everything, but in the book, you get to see one leader after another, uh, of people who had fallen under Marco's spell almost immediately in book six, Babylon's Ashes, start to be like, oh my god, I think we made a big mistake, not because of the genocide, but because we're following this guy, and his head is, you know, he's fucking tripping some of these ideas, like, he's got economists saying none of this is sustainable, you know, he's got people like, uh, uh, again, Michio Pa, who's basically a version of drummer at that point, you got Michio Pa, who's got a huge fleet of supplies and ships, you know, who turns on him, makes an alliance, even with a hated Fred Johnson, that's how much the, she regrets and uh, joining Marco and realizes <laughs> what a psychopath and how far from the path he is. Um, yeah, here's Alex trying to be slick. Ah, uh, Sovater, yeah, yeah, he's one of the main guys in the book. Of course they remember Kamal, he's a fucking, he's a fucking rock star, they all are. He's you know, Amos won't even acknowledge people talking about him or his past, even his recent past. Um, but among him, Naomi, and Holden, as uh, respectively heroes of Mars, the Belt, and Earth, uh, Kamal is uh, the, the least comfortable. Mostly because Holden knows, his, and to an extent Naomi increasingly knows that they're important as leaders and uh, need to be leaders of both their people and just people in general, and so they need to put up a front about it. Naomi actually talks about this in the later books when she's, you know, Admiral Nagata or whatever, running everything, trying to stop the Laconians. You know, she doesn't want to... After a while, she stops 
trying to be humble in front of people, you know, who talk about being in awe, spending time with her, and how honored they are, blah, 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 because she doesn't want to take it away from them, you know, keep people, hope, have hope, and sometimes they're idols, they gotta prop up a little bit, even if they're flawed, although, arguably, Naomi, by the later books, you know, only has flaws from sort of a subjective, certain political issues standpoint, um, and even those uh, like, eventually she accepts Bobby's notion that they have to go full military at some point. This isn't going to be resolved politically, at least at first. It takes a while for Naomi to get on board with that. Eventually she does. Um, but, you know, morally and emotionally, uh, by books 7, 8, and 9, <laughs> you know, Naomi's pretty uh, pretty flawless of, of human being as you're going to get. Here's a boy again. He's thinking about his uh, adoptive mom, his Amos. And here's the Eric stuff. Oh my god, this is great. And what's great is everyone... Uh, I wish more people who love this show would read the books. Uh, but people fell in love with this actor and this character immediately. Um, and you know, at some level, you know, could feel how real it was. Uh, or how just loyal it was, even if they haven't read the books. Because it's just such a... You know, it's like hard to come up with characters and relationships like Eric and, and the relationship between Amos and Eric just for a TV show. It really feels like it's from a book. Both the actual dialogue and just the co complexity of the unspoken part of the relationship as well. In the unspoken past. Ashanti. Is this her daughter or granddaughter? Um... One of the best parts of the book is she becomes estranged from her daughter and her granddaughters because, you know, the burden on her saving <laughs> the universe just becomes so much and she becomes guilt-written and work-obsessed and all the things you would expect and almost with hope in your leader in that situation that comes at the cost of relationship with the daughter, but especially the granddaughters and one of the granddaughters in particular, um, Kiki, um, I believe her name is, or she goes by... She claims she really doesn't even like, but she admits, you know, to no one's surprise later that it's because they're the most similar, um, and Kiki's the one to actually get through to her, and her one release of emotions, as she tries to solve the apocalypse, then she goes back to putting on the face, as her husband used to say, uh, you know, her political military, you know, leader of the solar system face, um, which isn't a true face. She does love deep down, but she's so far gone politically, and there's no one else who can do it. She can't leave even if she wants to. Right, so here's Gao, the young Asian woman, who did a great job, and it was actually pretty convincing, uh, both in her, her acting performance. She's a pretty good actress. Uh, she's young, you know. This is some great experience for um, that young actress. Um, but but her political platform and, and the way she went, she in season four she goes after Christiana Harvasarla um, as they compete to be the secretary general. Um, she does a great job politically. It's very convincing in a political environment. Forget this is 300 years in the future and in space. It feels like something that we would see between, you know, a strong Democrat and a strong Republican, um, or even two strong Democrats going at it in this day and age. Um, and uh, uh, she is opportunistic, and she does take cheap shots, but Christian can't hold it against her. She's the, she's the queen of, of cheap shots. 
And uh, this feels like this lasts forever. Uh, that gal just completely shuts off and shuts down Christian. Uh, it feels like it lasts forever because it's so insulting to us as, as uh, the watcher. Uh, you know, again, I know where this is going. I know these people are all going to die and Christian's going to have to take over and save everyone. But even if I didn't, I'm watching the show for the first time. We love Shari so much. Look at her. She's crying as she tries to keep any foot in any door of what's going on here. Um, um, Sarala uh, is shut out and it's insulting to us um, but it only takes till next episode I think uh, when Gao's ship is destroyed by one of the meteors or one of the pieces of the meteors here's Bull part of it is just having another expert who's not Sakai um, and you know rubbing in you know Fred Johnson does go completely native in terms of being an earther who start seeing himself as a belter, uh, whatever belters think, um, and, you know, always takes the belter side and everything. Obviously, he's become their political leader, um, and is their most effective political leader. Uh, uh, but the fact that you have someone like Bull, who claims to hate the skinnies, you know, um, who claims to hate the belters, but still out there because of loyalty to Fred as an earther, you know, it, in principle, is, is, is a cool sidekick to have, uh, because... You know, his skewed anti-Belter position is given some credence, uh, you know, because of all the time he spent there. And he's not as dumb as he's acting, obviously. Again, with a good, really solid performance from the actor, that's a little bit better than the writing they give him. Um, or at least a little bit more coherent uh, than I think it would maybe seem on the page. Um, here's, here's Anna just being fucking cool as hell, trying to escape, you know. You have to have Anna Hopkins uh, as Monica Stewart try and get herself out before she has to be rescued. And, like, I mean, in the book, it's mostly her pounding, uh, but it's knowing when to pound and, and how to make noise. I mean, it's, you know, it's like a, it's like an animal in a cage in the book, and they manage to, to just find her before she dies. Um, but this is very much within the spirit, and because one of the great, uh, you know, gifts of the show um, that you can't get in the book is, you know, I always talk about how hard it is to bring fantasy uh, to, to, to film form, you know, things like dragons and, 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 uh, and goblins and stuff, you know, Peter Jackson somehow managed it with Lord of the Rings, but everything from Game of Thrones to the, the various fantasy shows on TV have trouble sci-fi, you know, the ideas are phenomenal in the books, uh, and in the case of The Expanse, they're written spectacularly, um, I mean, they, they're written the way I would like to be able to write, speaking to a modern audience that's, in a way that talks a lot about science without talking a lot about science, you know, sort of like The Martian. Um, but you can just do things visually in sci-fi that just aren't possible, and so uh, you should not resist uh, the urge. Not resist the urge? Yeah. You should not resist the urge to expand scenes like this where someone's trying to escape, even though this kind of fails. And buys her time and helps them track her so it doesn't fail in that sense. She doesn't totally free herself, but it's more than we get in the book where we just sort of hear, you know, what was going on in there before she passed out and they saved her. 
don't resist the urge to expand those scenes, both to make our characters cooler and more heroic, uh, but also to, to you know get the, the science the shit out of stuff, to get the scientific process on screen, uh, but in such an exciting, uh, you know, uh, scenario um, nested within an even much larger uh, exciting but increasingly tense scenario. I mean, again, I, I can't stress enough the Fred, you know, the Fred Johnson portrayal uh, by Chad Coleman. I mean, I never don't think of him when, when I'm seeing Fred Coleman in the book um, or even Jefferson Mays's. Um, I mean, you know, Jefferson Mays specifically has Fred Johnson talk like uh, a black guy uh, that doesn't have a particularly thick accent any which way, but is definitely a black guy. They never mention that he's a black guy. There's no reason to. You just know it. But it's great that we have Chad Coleman in the series. So it's it's only less of an issue, but it, you know what I mean? It just goes down so smooth because he's an actor we know, we're familiar with, that we all like, uh, and he's so committed to the role. Uh, then you go back to the book, or, or you go to the book for the first time, and you're like, oh yeah, like, Chad Coleman's gonna be my, my Fred Johnson in my brain while I read this. Maybe not all the characters are, but he definitely is. There they go, going through it. In the book, he's there, uh, you know, again, they have Bull do sort of some of the physical labor, and, you know, logistically, this makes more sense, you know? Fred, uh, Fred Johnson wouldn't go himself. He would send Bull. He would send his number two, and he would send Holden, who's always gonna go as Captain America. Um, and he'd be monitoring on the screen. Of course, the reason he doesn't do that in the book is because he doesn't have a Bull uh, at that point, because Bull sacrifices in book three. He only has Holden, um, and that's one of the great plot and character points: is having to admit to Holden that. You know, as much as he doesn't like him at times, he actually is the only guy he trusts right now, including people he's like grown up with, you know, over the for, over many years in uh, uh, in, in Tycho, and have worked for him like drummer. Now, drummer, pro uh, drummer in the book proves her loyalty, uh, um, uh, or at least I should say, proves that you know she's never had a disloyal thought in her life proves it to him very quickly and becomes his his number two uh, that he needs so badly but at this point in the book it's just him and Holden so he has to physically go uh, with Holden as they try and save Monica they actually failed to save Monica at first and they thought she's she's definitely dead but they leave her alive on purpose, which is never really explained. There's a bunch of stuff with Monica that got caught up in the book or didn't make it into the audiobook in full translation or something um, with Monica. But she's such a force of nature and such a, a perfect, necessary addition uh, that, you know, jumps off the screen even more than she jumps off the page with, with Anna's performance. Um, you just roll with it. And the point is that Fred's losing control. Fred's losing control uh, of the situation, and he's even losing control of information and control of his own systems. So, you know. Don't you fuck you doing to me? Look, this guy who plays Eric, it looks and talks exactly like the guy in the book. Played by Jacob Mundell. Um, they wanted to find a guy who really did have a fucked up left arm like Eric, um, 
who was also an actor, and they managed to find one. This was his big break, but he's acting like, you know, he's a TV professional that's done this forever. Everyone was blown away. Actually, Anna, again, being cheerleader for the show and for everything awesome in life, um, uh, Anna, who plays Monica Stewart, um, uh, and Hopkins who plays Monica Stewart, was like, immediately like, oh my god, this is my new favorite actor, and like, the Expanse fans were just totally just in love with this performance, as I was, um, and, uh, he jumped on social media, got a ton of followers, and, you know, we were asking him questions, and he was responding to us, um, interestingly, you know, I complimented him, uh, for being so loyal to the book, and he talked about how, in response to me, he thanked me on Twitter uh, directly, uh, but he talked about how he really wanted to actually put his own spin on it, um, and my response to him was, uh, you know, um, you know when I, the feeling I got wasn't that he was imitating the book, but just that it was such a complex and cool and interesting character uh, out of nowhere in the book, and that's how I felt watching him, and it just, uh, and I said, you know, and I mentioned Jefferson Mays, who does the audiobooks, by the way, has won a Tony and been nominated for two more, he's been nominated for three Tonys and won another one, so he's a real fucking legit, legit, super legit drama guy, and so when I responded to Jacob, to this guy on Twitter, I said, yeah, I understand what you're saying, man, uh, definitely your own version, but... It just happened that a few of the deliveries really reminded me of Jefferson Mays' um, audiobook version, which I've been listening to forever, and Jacob sort of got my point. It wasn't that, you know, he was listening, you know, he actually was read the script, of course, but he wasn't, like, reading the book or definitely listening to the audiobook, but he for sure knows who Jefferson Mays is, as a because this guy's a drama guy and Jefferson Mays is a drama guy. Um, Jefferson Mays is sort of a legend uh, among drama people. Again, three Tony nominations, one win, uh, and not too far in the past, either, even though he's been around a while. You've changed. Right, he takes the whiskey, which is great. Um, but that sometimes the material's so transcendent, you're gonna get if you have two great performers doing the same material, it's going to sound different, and you'll have your own spin on it, but there's certain things that are going to align. Um, and I, I talked about it being synergistic. You know, it wasn't that it was a repeat of what I loved about Jefferson Mays, but it just, there was a synergy, the performance, where uh, the character's complexity is expanding, but it feels in, in, uh, in parallel and in simpatico, in the different versions, even while we get different takes. Anyway, he's awesome. I hope he's getting more roles. Like I said, they didn't want to just give a guy a CGI th arm um, because it's an important part of his personality and his character, even though they don't talk about it directly. directly. And uh, thank God they found Jacob. I've got a lot to lose. Um, like in the book in the show, you think this is just another person from the past he's meeting along the way as we see each of the characters. But like with Naomi, where she thinks she's done with a bunch of her uh, past uh, associations only to be imprisoned by them, essentially. Uh, in the uh, escape from Clarissa Mao's jail. And then attempted escape off of Earth after the meteor strikes. They have to team up with Jacob, uh, and they need his guns, um, but Jacob needs Amos's uh, connections, 
once they're off. Uh, and that then makes an already cool character. If it was just that scene, um, uh, Eric would have been such a cool, interesting part of Amos's past in just that whole environment uh, and ecology of the churn in Baltimore. Uh, but the fact that he uh, assesses after the meteors hit that now the churn, it might have been shitty before, but he had a place of power, clearly, and money. Now that means nothing. Yep, they save her right as she's dying, just like in the book. But it's all about the performances, and God, do they shoot this so good. This was extremely hard to shoot everything because, you know, she's in zero-G in all of these scenes on the float, but they're pushing around in all different directions. You know, she has to be trying to force doors open so her legs are dangling back. And they're spinning the camera. Even while they're spinning the actors and actresses, they hit her with adrenaline. God. Can't say enough by Anna Hopkins. She's awesome. Totally my kind of uh, woman as well, but definitely my kind of actress. Just so much energy that, like... uh, And yet, like with the noodles thing and the way her face changed to happiness when she could just eat Holden's noodles... Uh, you know, can still do these little subtle things that are so, uh, you know, comedically entertaining, um, but subtle, even while being broad and hypermanic and over-energetic at times, just so talented. You know, as Monica Stewart, even though they give her way more screen time and they keep her around way longer... Um, and what I, again, what I'm going to call a corrective to the book, they should have kept her around longer in the book. She's sort of out of it by mid book five and that's it. Other than doing some reports, um, to try and help the cause kind of propaganda wise, mostly as it goes along, uh, when they have to team up with the, the, the moderate belters against Marco. Here's the joke that doesn't land, I think, about the Martians and belters and earthers in the bar. Um. None of this really works. Uh, none of... I mean, the thing is, you know, even though she's always in the background, Avasarala, other than brief stuff in books three and four, you know, it's not until book five and then we start getting a lot from her perspective in book six that she comes back after her book two introduction with Bobby, and it's the same with Bobby. And they had to keep, you know, Shore as a Christian, and they had to keep uh, Frankie... Um, Adams as as Bobby Draper engaged and active in all the seasons, sort of between their their leading roles, their one A roles, where they're you know just as much up front as the Rosanante crew, and sometimes even more so. And really, part of the Rosanante crew—that's the whole point. You know, she claims to hate them, but she always, if she has the choice, goes in the Rosanante over like big diplomatic ships, and she loves them. She loves the little rogues. She just needs to. Uh, you know, like that her kids are grandkids, make sure they're not getting into too much trouble in her her purview. But uh, you know, obviously, Karen G is an unbelievable force of nature that we're going to increasingly talk about. Oh, here comes the asteroid. Um, as drummer. Uh, but what I was gonna, what I started to say in the first one. Up oh, here's here's young Timmy. We actually get a scene with Amos and um and his uh, adoptive mom uh, Lydia. Right. Right. When you're hurt, hurting others is easy. Take strength to choose not to. And she, she, she gives him pride, and she gives him a place, and she gives him a home. Most importantly, gives him emotional support. But it's tough, tough love. 
um, which is why as psychotic and at times murderous as Amos is, he's not irredeemable only because of this relationship, even though he hasn't come to terms with it even decades later, and it may never. I love you, Timothy, but I'm not righteous. Anyways, <laughs> this is this is great uh, acting with a with a child actor, even though he's mostly just doing looks. Uh, is very talented, and Lydia is totally believable as Lydia. And there's the fucking Baltimore, always a fucking shithole. Feel terrible for that. Worse than Philadelphia, where I'm from. Uh, but anyways, but making uh, pushing Monica Stewart up front um, with. Uh, uh, with Anna Hopkins uh, was just as smart and in some ways just as important uh, in terms of filling out the cast and the relationships as pushing drummer forward was. Uh, here's the, the great sort of heavy sort of cosmic emotional theme of Clinton Shorter. Yeah, is always connecting them to the the universe. He's looking at the sky, even when they're on Earth. Hey, what are you doing on my dock? No. Where does this go? Does he kill some more people? No one doesn't like drummer. It's possible some people are annoyed by the intensity and seeming shoehorned in this, and they do just leave. And yeah, he can He was expecting a fight. And he's thinking back to what Lydia just said to him, which was sometimes you need to fight, but sometimes you don't. Oh man. So Amos's decision to visit Clarissa, they have them have a brief call in I believe season four, where he doesn't seem to really care. She's just desperate to talk to anyone. For some reason chooses him, but it sits with him. This is what's so brilliant. Is you know, there's a lot of setting up in earlier books by the expanse guys that explicitly plays out in the future. Um plays out in future scenarios oh i'm sorry no it's the, it's the next episode to, uh, the thomas jane's episode where the no all right it's nice to have the rocket going up but the meteors are about to about to come down in the next episode the thomas jane uh directed uh mother uh one of the great television episodes of all time an amazing directing job uh by a phenomenal actor thomas jane who i didn't know was also a phenomenal director anyways i'm gonna let you go here and i have too many long outros but as I said, while there's a lot of explicit setting up, that's nevertheless brilliant because it's books ahead and pays off in ways that don't need retcons and just flow smoothly, like setting up the Martians early as corrupt and having divisions within their seemingly united military that th turns into a giant rogue Martian force that leads to the Laconian Empire. I mean, over the course of seven, eight books, they build this whole thing with the Martians. It totally makes sense. What, however much they had planned, they definitely had ideas about it, but some of it is implicit, and one of it is, you know, why, why Clarissa Mao, you know? I mean, again, she does go, uh, in book three, you know, she, at the very end, she takes down, um, well, it's the guy, uh, played by, it doesn't matter, anyway, at the end, at the end of book three, with the behemoth thing, uh, with, with there's, you know, uh, a straight up, um, 
a giant fight between uh, Holden's peoples and some of the Belters and, and Bull and so forth uh, with the crazy captain um, uh, uh, from uh, who's a sort of veteran from the Belt, uh, but is drunk with power and with you know Belter dominance and blah 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 blah. Clarissa, in the end, does one good thing, kills that guy, or at least takes him out, um, and solves that crisis temporarily. She still has to go to jail forever because she's a terrorist and has killed lots of people, both herself directly and, and indirectly. Um, uh, so she does go back with them on the ship, um, and Amos and her do have uh, some interactions uh, where he brings her down to the shops, you know, she's not going to cause trouble at this point, and he figures she might as well, you know, during their long trip back home to Earth, where she's going to go to jail forever, at least get to use some of her <laughs> newfound skills uh, with engineering um, as an actual engineer. Uh, but for some reason, he sees a spark in her, uh, and is, after everything we've just seen with Frankie, and then the flashbacks to Lydia, and, you know, all the various, uh, things that are happening in the turn in Baltimore that haven't changed, that are depressing, uh, a few things that maybe have changed, or have just grown, um, uh, you know, all of a sudden, he wants to help Clarissa, and I'm very interested to watch in the upcoming episode, um, now, I don't know how long it is before we do an extended bit with him and Clarissa, because we have to have the apocalypse and, you know, the Prime Minister, uh, I'm sorry, the Secretary General die, and then, you know, who's going to take over, and blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, but we do get a lot with him and Clarissa, as we do in the book. I'm wondering if we get more answers here uh, than we do um, in the book. Uh, now, again, it doesn't really matter in the book, because <laughs> they're so... Once we get them together on the Rosanante, they're so clearly soulmates, and you can see why, uh, because they're murderers who are both tormented uh, and feel regret, but also, you know, don't feel bad about certain parts of their past. It's very complicated, but uh, uh, let me just put it this way, and then we'll, we'll shut down this one and get ready for the big number three, is, you know, it doesn't matter in the end why he decides to go and save Clarissa of all people. Um, you know, obviously when he goes, he doesn't know the apocalypse is about to happen and that he can free her and then bring her into space and so forth. That sort of conveniently happens. Um, and, you know, they have a long friendship together until she eventually dies from all of her implants. And it's very sad, but, you know, they've had time together now um, with her free and and you know, she can't believe she never thought she would see the sunlight again or see space again and be in that hole forever. Um, and so their relationship through the next few books after this make the reason why he goes not that important from a character standpoint, but nevertheless, I am interested as to why Clarissa and why now. And that's the favor he's asking from, from Chrissy. And so we'll look for clues here. So thank you for joining me again. Uh, I cannot wait for Mother, episode three from season five. G uh, Thomas Jane does a spectacular job directing what's, you know, the most challenging episode, uh, at least on the surface, um, of the season, maybe of the series, uh, because, you know, because it is the apocalypse and because it has to both look amazing and feel horrible, um, and convincing. So, look forward to that, look forward to uh, you guys joining me, thank you for joining me here, you guys have been great, uh, I've been the Bizzle, may the force be with you, but for now, the Bizzle is out.